0: Who's the mid-season fantasy MVP? How about the fantasy Cy Young? How about the fantasy rookie of the half? I'll ask Todd Zola and Ray Murphy about those and a whole lot more next in a special roundtable edition of Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. (laughs) And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 13th. It's show number 33 of the 2021 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Tuesday special edition for you. It's our annual Mid-Season Roundtable with Todd Zola and Ray Murphy discussing the top stories at mid-season in real and fantasy baseball, as well as players who could crater or soar after the break, and of course, our Mid-Season Fantasy Awards. Yes, it's a Tuesday special edition. It's a round table with Todd and Ray. They're ready to go. What do you say? Let's go talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday round table edition, it's part one of our discussion with two of the best in the business, both frequent guests here at Baseball HQ Radio. First from Masters Ball, ESPN, Rotowire, Sirius XM, and podcasts everywhere, Todd Zola. Todd, hello.
2: How you doing, gentlemen? Uh, I always look forward to this uh midsummer podcast classic or whatever you want to call it.
0: <laughs> and I understand uh, we catch you in Cape Cod where you're attending some summer league games. You having fun?
2: I'm having fun. I wasn't having fun today. Uh, it's going to be a rough en- rough go on my end because I had to get the internet connected. It was pretty lousy internet in my hotel, so I had to jump through some hoops. So well, some of my prep time was uh, diminished. We'll find that out soon enough
0: and the co-general manager and a columnist at BaseballHQ.com, and our regular weekly reporter on the American League beat, it's Ray Murphy. Ray, welcome back to the show.
1: Good to be here, PD. Like I think I said on last week's show, this is my favorite hour of the otherwise interminable All-Star break. So, <laughs> uh,
0: Before we start talking about uh, what we've uh, convened to talk about, I was wondering what you guys thought of the Home Run Derby. Todd, did you catch it?
2: I caught it off Twitter, I caught, and I caught some of it on the radio. Um, I think it just—it sure sounded exciting. I miss—I missed hearing the Statcast broadcast. I don't know if it's going to be available, if I can find it anywhere. But um, it, it was interesting enough for me to try to catch up on Twitter and, and the internet. But I did not see any of it on on TV. And what did you think of the outcome? Um, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a handicapper, but I'm not—I'm not surprised. Pete Alonso took it down. He didn't have to change very much, right? I mean, yeah. he. Didn't you know? I, he did not have to change his approach, and I did catch the tail end of Shohei Ohtani's uh, catching up to, I guess, it was Juan Soto, and then Juan Soto going three for three. So uh, just, just, just Soto. Just, I mean, that, that, that there. I mean, and he didn't win it, etc. But that kind of a moment where Soto took three swings in overtime or whatever it was called and nailed three out of the yard. That's just kind of cool.
0: Soto was an interesting guy to watch because he was spraying his home runs all over the yard, left, center, right. And, and, uh, in that last three, he was really, it was really quite, uh, probably the best moment of the whole thing was, as you said, Otani coming from way behind, to strike, uh, what, eight or nine in a row just to get close. And he finally has three or four shots with 10 seconds left and he can't get that one to, to push him over. And then they have the two overtimes. It was terrific. Uh, Ray, what'd you think?
1: It was a good view for the evening, uh. I, th- I think you're right. The Soto Otani double overtime was kind of the peak drama of the night. I I, I thought after uh, Soto hit the th- went three for three, Otani should have gone up there. He grounded out on the first pitch anyway. But part of me wanted him to just lay down a bunt and be like, guys, I got a pitch tomorrow. Okay, I'm done.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I thought the drama was whether Brent Hershey was going to catch a uh, catch a home run. Yeah, he was out in right field. I was texting him, asking him, Hey,
1: did that one get you? Did that one get you? <laughs>
0: Well, Lisa and I watched it for a little while but drifted away it's kind of tedious for me. It's like watching one of those long drive golf competitions when you're two o'clock in the morning and you can't sleep. So you turn on ESPN and oh look, here's a bunch <laughs> of guys hitting uh, golf balls on, a, on a, a disused airplane runway. And after about the 10th one, you think, yeah, okay, I get it. It's a, there's a reason why these don't get a lot of attention. Uh, but I guess congratulations are in order to Pete Alonso, back-to-back winner. And I thought to Trey Mancini, uh, the other finalist, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. an amazing story this year, uh, well-documented, The Recovery from cancer and he's having a pretty good uh, regular season start this year Uh, congrats to trey mancini especially for this big comeback and speaking of stories in real baseball why don't we start this discussion in our round table with the biggest real baseball story of the pre-break period ray let's start with you what do you think is the story of the year so far
1: real baseball story i i'll piggyback on what we were just talking about i'm gonna go with shohei otani uh, you know, I think whether he's the biggest fantasy story depends a lot about how your rules and how you can use them. And we've talked about those problems for years now. But in terms of doing something that, you know, we've literally never seen before in 100 years of this game, going back to, you know, Babe Ruth sort of did it. But as has been recently chronicled, sort of, but not really at the same time. Right. He's doing he's really pushing the limits. uh Otani's really pushing the limits of, you know, what we thought an athlete could do on a baseball field and. Uh, you know, it'll be fascinating to see whether he can sustain this pace on both sides of the ball for the second half. But in terms of pure, unprecedented performance, give me Shohei Otani.
0: It's interesting. We've had a few guys try to do this in the last few years. I think of Brendan McKay, I think, down in Tampa, who had aspirations I think to do a little pitching do a little hitting ended up doing uh, not much of either but do you think the Otani experiment is going to loosen the restrictions that a lot of young players come up they had success at the college level in doing both and then they have to get channeled one way or the other do you think that uh, Otani's success might breed uh, imitation
1: maybe I I I tend not to think so uh, just because Otani had demonstrated that he could do this in Japan to some degree before he came over here and asking an 18, 19 year old, like a draftee to do that is and jeopardizing their ability to get to the majors on both sides of the ball, I think is too much risk. You know, there were a couple of people, even in the first year draft the other night, you know, pitchers who said like, Oh, he also played shortstop or whatever. But you know, I, you know, there was a guy, I will remember the name five, seven years ago that the Red Sox wanted to draft and do this. With and they let him play a half season as a pitcher in the minors, and then they swung him out to shortstop when he hit his innings limit. And I don't know. Until further notice, I'm just going to treat treat
2: Otani as a unicorn. I think. Yeah, Frankie Rodriguez. I was. I think it was thinking of Casey Kelly. Oh well, there were two of them then. I, Rodriguez is even older then, right? Because they did that. Oh yeah, Rod- sure. You're right.
0: I remember Frankie Rodriguez. I actually had him on a roster. We used to, you know, I used to play in a league with fairly extensive farm systems, and I remember Frankie Rodriguez. Uh, Todd, for you, what's the biggest baseball story?
2: All right, so this I'm not gonna say this sounds like a cop out, but I it's to me the biggest baseball story is the fact that what's going on in the field is not the biggest story. There's so much going on. Distracting from Shohei Otani, distracting from Fernando Tatis, distracting from, uh, call me a homer if you will, but what the Red Sox and Giants are doing. It's, I mean, there's just, it's, it's the ball. It's some players having issues. It's, it's, there's the umpiring. The fact that we're not watching some of the funnest and greatest ball with rookies and, and and such fantastic, uh, ball being played. And that's not what we're talking about most of the time. To me, that's the story.
0: Well, I really gave a lot of thought to the Shohei Ohtani story, but and I'm ex- as excited as anybody about the sheer wondrousness of it and and the fun it is to watch, but right. what I'm rooting for what would be a really positive story for the second half to add to the Ohtani thing and that's a triple crown possibility for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. At the break, Vladdy was first in RBIs, he's one ahead of Rafael Devers, he's first in batting average, he's 6 points ahead of Michael Brantley, and he's second in home runs, albeit 5 behind Ohtani. And that makes it seem like a long shot, I guess, with Otani seeming to be somehow heading out into a completely different universe as a home run hitter. I know the triple crown stats aren't that descriptive of true player value, but they are three scoring categories in most fantasy leagues. And man, I just think it would be fun to watch Mm -hmm. down the stretch if Vladimir Guerrero is first or second in all three of those categories. I think people would tune in and get a charge out of actual baseball. To your point, Todd.
2: No, I agree. And uh, hopefully by that time, that's what the focus will be. And uh, you know that that you know. And we did a roundtable for Wars and I think to a man, everybody expected expects Otani to get hurt. So um <laughs> you know, I mean, help, I know, I, Yeah, I mean, yeah. If, if it wouldn't help baseball, but I think that's as much of a wow because this is Joe Madden, and Joe Madden is is using. I mean, he's not getting – I don't know, Ray, who does your playing time, if it's Jock, who does it for the Angels, but you're going to pretty much give Otani regular at-bats with a, a couple days off versus a lefty, which in the previous years, he didn't do that because you know, he was only going to hit against lefties and he wasn't going to bat the day before or after he pitched. So it was like three-sevenths of the time. He's playing nearly full-time.
1: Yeah, especially with Trout out. It really seems like yeah. Joe Madden, to your point, has said – Okay, we're putting, you know, this may be a 26 man roster, but we're, we're putting this team on Shohei's <laughs> back and seeing how far he can carry us. And, hey, how, how can you fault him? So far, it's working. I mean, to your point, it's got to hold up for another 70 games or whatever. But, you know, that very clearly seems to be what Otani, what, what Madden's doing is, you know, hitching his wagon to Otani and seeing where they end up. Maybe he'll back off a little bit when they get Trout and Rendon back and the non Otani lineups don't look quite as uh,
2: PCL as they do right now. Or maybe they make a run and they they double down. You never know.
0: Well, they'd have to make quite a run. Uh, Let's move on, guys. (laughs) Uh, We'll start with uh, some of the, well, I guess we could call them downsides of the season so far. Uh, Let's start with the least valuable fantasy hitter award. Uh, This is the, uh, you can define valuable any way you like. You can define least uh, any way you like. But Todd, who's your least valuable fantasy hitter for the first half?
2: I know he's been hurt, but even when he's been healthy, Kristen Yelich just has not done what we thought he would do. You know, given the little bit of a run at the end of spring training, you know, the the FOMO, uh oh, he's he's hitting bombs, he's uh he, you know, he, he jumped back into the first round. He's back to the to the we're we're back to the version he hits the ball really hard. What if he hit it in the air and he's not running as much? He's running some but not as much. So relative to what was paid and what's expected and how you build your team. Unfortunately, I'm going to give it to Christian Yelich as the least valuable hitter.
0: I'll go next. And of course, there's lots of injured guys who have disappointed fantasy managers, but I'm going to go with Keston Hiura of Milwaukee. His ADP was around 72, so he's pretty solidly in that fifth round area. But his actual rank, if you just stack them by Baseball HQ's dollar values, is around 400. He's hitting 168 at the break. He's got a 578 OPS, and he's already been sent down to the minors a couple of times as well. The Brewers traded for a possible replacement in Rowdy Telez. And when your batting average is such that Rowdy Telez is seen as a viable alternative and he's hitting two hundred, you know that you're in a certain amount of trouble. I could also mention Clint Frazier and Jorge Soler, but since I paid heavily for each of them a tout, uh, I'd rather just whimper privately. Ray, who's your who's your least valuable hitter?
1: Boy, in terms of uh you know, personal umbrage, I, I can't you know Soler's a great choice. I'm Super mad at him, but uh, I think I'm going to go back with Todd and uh, agree with him on Yelich. You know, I I looked at sort of the top of the ADPs from the preseason, and as I was scrolling through some of the underperformers, what struck me is for all the ink that Francisco Lindor gets for his bad half season with the Mets, although he's picked it up recently, and for all of the talk about Trevor Story getting off to a slow start in Colorado. Both of those guys have at least propped up their value with the spattering of home runs and both have been running pretty aggressively. But as a result of that, they're both far ahead of Yelich in terms of dollar value. To me, it's just it's Yelich far and away in terms of worst return on a premium investment.
0: Moving along, how about our least valuable pitcher? And I'm going to start with no surprise. Luis Castillo was a late second rounder by ADP. He's been lower than reserve round value so far this season. He has 100 innings in the books with a 4.65 ERA, a one forty-one WHIP. So anyone who has kept him active all year has taken some serious body shots to the decimals. Uh, he's 96 strikeouts, but he's walked 45 guys, including I think he walked six in five and a third his last start just on Sunday. HQ projects a decent post-break 384-130 with nine wins and maybe 85 or so more strikeouts. And Ray, I admire the work that HQ does with the projections, but I gotta say I don't see it with Luis Castillo. I'm taking the under on everything. Uh, go ahead, Ray, uh, justify uh, your projection and then give us your uh, <laughs> give us your least valuable pitcher.
1: You know, Castillo's actually gotten a little bit better lately, which I think is probably the best cause for optimism. You know, from a skills perspective, it's not great. His last 31 days BPV is 72, which is roughly league average. But the luck is correcting back in his favor. He's got a 163 ERA in the last 31 days compared to a 378 expected ERA. So, you know, he was owed a little bit of luck after April and May. He was both bad and unlucky. Uh, But, you know, it's interesting you bring up Castillo. And, of course, it's no surprise Um I, I wanna know why Castillo's getting all the rap and Blake Snell's getting off scot free. Snell's been every bit as bad, if not worse, on a pretty close ADP. Castillo's ADP was like late second round and Castillo's was like late third, early fourth in a fifteen team league. And here's Blake Snell with a four ninety nine ERA, a one fifty five whip, and three wins. Like, great. That's also terrible. So but you know, Castillo seems like he has to wear the uh you know, the badge of dishonor in all fantasy circles and You know, I I don't feel like Snell deserves a pass on that, so I'm going to throw him in here.
2: Todd? I think there's a third guy that deserves to be in that same group, drafted right around the same time. And the reason I'm going to go to Maeda is, well, first of all, you guys already took Snell and Castillo, but Maeda is showing no signs or very little signs of bouncing back. At least, I mean, he can't be as bad as he was, but of rebounding to, you know, on the other end, and not even so much luck evening out, but just uh, helping to get rid of some of the damage. Castillo's kind of doing that. The strikeouts are not there. Whether or not, I mean, Ray, you can speak a little towards it. Did we did we not adjust enough because of the divisions, you know, the geographical zone and the central being so much weaker? Did we not adjust Maeda's numbers? But if that's the case, we didn't adjust everybody's numbers enough. And so I think it's just that Maeder Seth himself I don't know, maybe the expectations were too high. And we don't, we're basing this off of one good year and all the years in L.A. where he went back to being a reliever in September. But, um, and I, you know, I mean, you know, I did not fall into the helium at the end. We talk a lot about drafts and NFC. There's someone like Maeda probably got pushed up because of the need. I need to get a pitcher. I need to get a pitcher. And he kind of fell into that vortex. But even so, even without that, he's been a disappointment.
0: So our least valuable players, Christian Yelich, takes the nod by consensus as the least valuable hitter with a minority vote for Keston Hura. We have three different pitchers all in the same tier of Mm -hmm. ADPs with Luis Castillo, Blake Snell, and Kenta Maida. Let's move on to uh, guys who have played pretty well, but you're forecasting a second-half collapse. Uh, We'll start with a hitter this time, Ray Murphy. Who do you have uh, that you don't want because you think there's uh, some bad news coming?
1: I had a couple of names here all sort of a theme of I'm cheating because I think the regression has already started <laughs> <laughs> so, but that but that, nevertheless Sam um, let me throw Dolas Garcia out there who uh, was you know, the marling of the month of May when he hit 312 with 11 homers 27 RBIs and five stolen bases but outside of that hot four-week stretch you know this has been a 240-ish hitter yeah with some power but I'm not sure we're going to see another month of May. And I, I I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he's not going to, I don't think he's in danger of losing his job or anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if what we see down the stretch is more of this, you know, 240 with, you know, a dozen homers in the second half kind of thing, which is a lot less than what his owners have gotten so far from him.
0: Todd, who's your second half collapse for a hitter?
2: I'm going to go one of the home run derby participants. Um, and it's not because he was in the derby. Uh, but it's it's Matt Olson, and like I mean, you know, collapse may be strong. I mean, uh, decline I think is probably better. But um, I just the he's doing pretty much everything he's always done, but not striking out nearly as much. And he's striking out like a Whit Merrifield level. It's not like he's just dropped his case. It's gone from 30% to 16%. And even the chase numbers and the the he's a little more aggressive. But I just and everything revolves around contact because he doesn't run. So, you know, the more balls he puts in play, the more homers, and then not just that, more runs in RBI. So, with you know, with, with, I just can't see him. And you guys know how I feel about st- uh, stabilization points. People are saying, well, always, hes it's, it's half a season. His strikeout rate is stable. No, it, it's not. <laughs> um, at least it, it might not. It's not statistically proven that it is. So there's just there's too much downside if he strikes out more. Everything goes down. Uh, you know the runs in RBI piggyback on the on the average, and uh, you know the power will be there. But I, I'm going to go Matt Olson, and he's I don't know where you guys have him ranked. We've got him ranked at least the RotoWire numbers. I think top 10 or 12 overall, which is just I didn't realize that.
0: Ray, what do we think of Matt Olson?
1: Yeah, I've got him up now. I mean, we've got him as a $30 player so far, which yeah is probably into you know, the first round. Into yeah. the first round. So yeah, you know it's, it's an interesting take there, Todd, because you know. A lot of people would look at the skill, not just the the fact that the contact games are over a half season, but that, you know, I'm looking at the monthly splits and they've been very stable. It's not like he had a month that 90% and Kareem back to 70. It's been, you know, he's been kind of owning this skill and he's done it while pretty much maintaining his historical fly ball tilt, which seems like good news. But I I think you're right for a guy who's got a, a long track record like Olson, when you see him pivot something on a dime like this, you know. I think we do have to stay skeptical of it a little bit longer.
2: Yeah, that's why collapse. I think is strong, um, but I, I don't see him repeating the first half. For me,
0: I, I just don't get Jazz Chisholm in Miami. Uh, obviously a good story. He vibes a bit Deion Sanders to me, the outsized personality and the you know, like showboating around the, the bases when he hits home runs, which he does a lot. He's got 11 home runs. He's got 11 stolen bases. He's been very productive from a fantasy point of view. But he strikes out a third of the time, gets about 7% walks. And on those occasions, when he does put the ball into play, he beats it into the ground half the time. So I'm not seeing where these home runs are coming from, but I have to say, when you run like he does, he's 95th percentile, I think, at StatCast for his sprint speed putting it on the ground is a good idea. Uh, Gene McCaffrey, our mutual <laughs> friend used to castigate people who said, uh, who criticized Billy Hamilton for not hitting the ball harder for hitting it soft and medium all the time. And he said, this is exactly what Billy Hamilton ought to be doing is hitting it on the ground softly or medium, and then just legging it out. Um, even at that, though, I have to say, Baseball HQ's projection is 216 for a batting average in the second half, an expected batting average around 200, and that seems accurate to me. That seems like where a hitter like Jazz Chisholm should be, and I fear that's where he's going to be. Uh, let's move on. Uh, second half, we'll call it a decline uh, f- among pitchers. Todd, who's a second half decline? You think?
2: Uh, I wanted to make it a bigger impact, a bigger name, but I just I can't ma- I can't justify. So I'm going to have to go down to Kyle Gibson, and and Gibson's been a great story, but I believe he's an All Star, and deservedly so based on surface stats, etc. The strikeouts just do not support the numbers. His expected ERAs, whichever estimator you want to use, it's 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 over a run higher. You know, it's still it's still very good in the mid to high threes, but it, it's it's you know it, if someone went from three five to five, we'd say it was terrible. So going from two three to three eight, you know, it, it's a pretty big drop like what he's doing. I just cannot see the sustaining. I wanted, I wanted a higher ranked pitcher to make a bigger splash, but I just couldn't justify any, any, you know, any, even you know, someone like, well, I don't want to take anybody's name, but I looked at Descofani, but man, the, the mindset of pitching in that park in San Francisco is, is just, we can't measure that. I don't know about you, Ray, but I don't have a column for that for mindset on my spreadsheet.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I <laughs> I, I looked at scafani too. And, you know, I, I couldn't really sell a, a collapse here for the verb that PD gave us to run with. <laughs> um, I'm going to go across the bay, though. My guy is uh, maybe a case of me doubling down on a guy we didn't like in uh, preseason and has proved, proved us wrong so far. But I'm going to go with Chris Bassett in Oakland. Uh, you know, who has sort of defied expectations. We at HQ sort of held him up as the poster child of the beneficiary of the unbalanced schedule and the poor competition he faced last year, et cetera. And called for a regression there. And he's proved us wrong with a low three era and pretty good skills. But again, kind of like I was saying with the Garcia, the monthly trends aren't really good here. I see declining velocity a little bit. I see a lot of decline in swinging strike rates month over month. And I I think there's a, you know, we may yet be proven right to have been, uh, been low on Christian Vasquez, uh, excuse me, Chris Bassett, this, uh, this preseason.
0: Doug Dennis and I talked uh, last Friday's HQ Radio about dangerous closers, and neither of us could figure out how Alex Reyes of St. Louis is doing anything (laughs) close to what he's doing. Five wins, 20 saves is just... Usage and dumb luck, I think. But uh, how the heck he's carrying an ERA barely over one and a half? His uh, ERA estimators, expected ERA, xFIP, and so forth is four and a half. That's a three-run difference between what he's doing and what he should be doing. Twenty-four percent hit rate contributes, ninety percent strand rate contributes, and forty percent of his batted balls go into the air. But only two home runs so far this season. I think there's all kinds of pathways for for Alex Reyes to be a, a real a real disaster in the second half. Baseball HQ has a sort of catch all skills stat. We call it base performance value. It's a com- combination of all the other skills metrics we use. Your top closers, uh, Hayter, Hendricks, Matt Barnes this year, are well over 200. Most of the other established closers, well over 100. Alex Reyes' skill set, 44.
2: Yeah, but yeah, I agree with everything you said, but the, he's a, because he's a reliever and has fewer innings, there's going to be more variability. And so that's, you know, I agree with everything you're saying, but you maybe do regression, but it may not be for three years. You know, because the <laughs> regression doesn't, uh, regression doesn't punch a time clock. That's the thing. But on paper, if you've got Alex Reyes as your closer, yeah, you need to be worried
0: and you may maybe need to be thinking about selling high because uh if somebody in your league needs a closer they'll see that 20 saves and think woohoo this is this is my guy and of course St. Louis has been relatively uneven in in racking up wins uh, just in general as well so uh, our second half decline/collapses Adolis Garcia, Matt Olson and Jazz Chisholm on the hitting side Kyle Gibson, Chris Bassett and uh, Alex Reyes on the pitching side. Uh, So we're off to a good start, guys. Uh, We'll give you a chance to take a quick breather. We'll do a little business here, and then we'll come back for segment two. Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball, ESPN, and Rotowire, appears on SiriusXM, and appears on lots of podcasts as well. Ray Murphy is the co-general manager at Baseball HQ and a columnist at the site, and they'll be back in just a second. But first, I want to let you know about how you can get a competitive edge for 2022 and have a whole ton of fun while you're doing it. Yes, it's First Pitch Arizona, and we're back in person for the 26th edition of Baseball HQ's signature fantasy baseball getaway. It's October 14th to 17th, write this down, at the Sheraton Mesa Wrigleyville West in beautiful Mesa, Arizona. Wrigleyville West, what more could you ask for? First Pitch Arizona is three full days packed with seminars, scouting, and socializing, all within the cozy confines of Arizona Fall League Baseball. At first pitch, you'll be able to pick the brains of some of the nation's top fantasy baseball analysts. You can participate in fun and challenging workshops, drafts, and contests. Of course, you'll benefit from a weekend's worth of those seminars. They're full of insights covering scouting, sabermetrics, and strategies. And you can see some of the bright rising stars from the minor leagues, always from the best seat in the stadium. Your registration includes tickets to Arizona Fall League Ball Games, Ron Chandler's 2022 Baseball Forecaster, the Baseball HQ 2022 Minor League Baseball Analyst and a Thursday evening welcome reception where you can hobnob with the experts and your fellow attendees. And there's more. Free Saturday lunch buffet, free hot buffet breakfast for hotel guests, many opportunities to shower praise on any Baseball HQ radio host who happens to be around, and all kinds of handouts, instant freebies and prizes, and just about as many AFL foul balls as you want to run after. The First Pitch Arizona webpage is up, so you can go there for all the latest updates and other details about First Pitch Arizona 2021. That's go to BaseballHQ.com slash first hyphen pitch hyphen Arizona, or just go to the right hand side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage, look on the right there for a big huge orange logo, click there and you'll get all the latest info, including what's going on with the Arizona Fall League itself. Previous attendees call it the best weekend of the year. We just call it First Pitch Arizona, and we'll see you there.
1: Baseball HQ Radio.
0: And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. With our mid-season roundtable, Ray Murphy, Todd Zola, and I have been talking about real baseball and started to segue into fantasy baseball. Let's move all the way into fantasy baseball. Now, Ray, what's your biggest fantasy baseball story of the year now that Shohei Otani's out of the way?
1: I think I'm going to go piggybacking on what Todd was saying for his baseball story of the year. Uh, it's the sticky stuff, the changes in the ball, the fact that you know, Todd and I as prognosticators, projection providers are incredibly fr- frustrated by the fact that we can't come up with the solid foundation on which to assume What's happening in the game? And of course, we came into this season hamstrung in that regard to begin with because we're coming off of a 60 game sample from last year, no minor leagues, all that stuff. It was already going to be the toughest projection year ever. And MLB just has gone on top of that and, you know, said, we're going to change the ball, but we're not really going to tell you how. We're going to do some more humidors. Oh, and then in June, we're just going to change the rules about what pitchers can put on their hands. So, You know, at some point as projections, people, I don't know about you, Todd, but we just sort of have to throw up our hands and shrug.
0: How are you handling it, Todd?
2: Yeah, well, that's pretty much what I was going to talk about, too. I'll see if I can think of a little something. I have a couple more things to add to that. I mean, to me, the answer was going to be just the uncertainty of what's going forward. Now, we never know, right? It's always educated guesswork, but we have patterns. We have trends, weather warms and, you know, runs get run more run scorers. Uh, But there's just so many variables. And the one Ray didn't mention, we'll we'll, we'll add it to it, is we're not sure about pitcher workloads, what's going to happen. Right now, I know you guys, I think you guys pretty much pegged 185 as the top innings pitched overall. And I think there'll be be a couple that will surpass that. I had five guys over 200. I don't think anybody will. So I think it's going to fall right in between – the two of our general frameworks, how, how uh, it, it works, but we just don't know. Uh, you know, with, with injuries, etc., it's, it's so tough, and it makes it so tough to manage the ball club. you know, PD. I know you know one of your favorite things we talk about all the time is category management. How much can I gain? How much can I lose? But there's just this cloud of uncertainty that even goes into that thinking. So already, it's already sketchy enough, and now we're just not sure. What's going to happen down the stretch? Uh, strikeouts are they are they they're tipping back down, but it's so close it just it could be noise at this point. So uh, just the whole uncertainty of it. And I got news for you, friends. It's not going to get any. thought about it, Ray, but it's not going to get any easier next year. If you think about, I know that I think at one point you guys used a five-year foundation, but even if it's five years, so we got 2019, which was the happy fun ball year. We got 2020, which was 2020. We got this year, which is who the heck knows, as the three-year baseline. So it's not as if, oh yeah, well, just wait—you know, everything will be back to normal in 22 if there's ball in 22. um, Speaking of uncertainty, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Speaking of the biggest stories, which you know, you know, talk about the uh, burying the lead. But yeah, it's just the uncertainty of—and you know, to me, some people think that's a feature, right? It's not a bug. Because it it, things are wide open, you 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 can argue that the harder you grind, the better you'll do. But it's it is it just kind of at the end of the day, you'd like to make the right decisions based on the right data and be right more often than not. Maybe it sounds like sour grapes, but it's just not (laughs) happening for me.
0: (laughs) And I think that's an interesting point because one of the reasons that a lot of people play fantasy baseball is as a demonstration of their baseball acumen which is generally understood to mean understanding how players perform being good at projecting how you think they're going to perform based on their baseline skills and stuff and all of this uncertainty really it seems to be generating a, a much higher degree of of um, variation into the outcomes and when you have wider variations there's way more pathways for people who don't have acumen to beat people who do and i think in the long run that might be a again is it a feature or a bug i suspect if you think you have good acumen then it's a bug and if you think you have right. lousy acumen you think it's a feature and you know everybody you know plays who
1: thinks they have lousy acumen,
0: though? <laughs> yeah that's right the the odd person who's actually realistic about himself yeah uh, for me uh, i understand all this stuff about uncertainty and i have Particularly interested in the number of pitchers that we've seen increasing over the years. The roster splits have changed. The number of pitchers going on and off the IL has changed. So we're seeing more and more pitchers. But my story in fantasy baseball is the number of batters who are getting into games. I started playing Roto in 1991, and I checked in at BaseballReference.com, and the number of batters per 162 games per team was about 31 who got into some kind of action. 816 batters that year had at least one plate appearance. By 2001, 10 years later, the number was up to about 38 batters per 162 games. 10 years after that, 39. This year, 69.5. The amount of hitters appearing in games has more than doubled in 30 years. And I know injuries has an awful lot to do with this, but from a fantasy perspective, I think it's just getting harder to build a team that has a lot of full-time hitters. Uh, Back to 91, the average batter, about 200 plate appearances. This year, it's down to 157. Interestingly, though, it's not the regulars who are affected. What's going on here is that it's the marginal players who are spreading out the what's left over after the full-time players get their full-time play. And so it's getting increasingly difficult once you get past the part of your draft when you're rostering guys you expect to play full time into those guys you're hoping get some plate appearances in part-time platoon roles that kind of thing there's just way more of those guys and there's way less plate appearances for them to divvy up and if there's a message here i think it is start thinking about how you're going to Do your budgeting because amassing plate appearances seems to me is going to be the key to winning uh, leagues, especially if you uh, have a a situation where you think you can manage your pitching and bully your hitting, as Todd has often advised.
2: Well, the reason being is because people want to draft pitching early, but they're drafting or they're not drafting the hitters. Now it's interesting. You're saying, and I knew this any coming in, but reiterating the top is the same. So now it's planning your draft strategy so that. You're not drafting pitching when you're drafting the second level of hitting, if you will. And so that that might be a way to think about it is, oh, I'm going to wait on pitching. But if you're drafting pitching and and not taking the 400-plate appearance guy and therefore have to get the 300-plate appearance guy to fill in the back end of your lineup, so maybe, maybe that's where the game theory comes into play.
0: I think you're right, and I, I think that's something that a lot of people are going to be considering as they go into drafts in future years, is that it's just going to be so tough, even in, in relatively shallow leagues, to find enough hitters who are going to get full-time plate appearances that you can really, literally, bully the hitting categories just by amassing the most playing time. Uh, there's been uh, very successful fantasy players who have used that approach uh, f- over the many years, and I think that might continue. Uh, moving on, uh, let Let's talk about rebounds. We talked about some declines. Let's talk about some players who had uh, maybe disappointing first halves, and you expect might do better in the second half. Todd, let's start with you.
2: Yeah, this is when I really I wanted to do more number crunching, so I'm going to go off off the cuff a little bit, and maybe it's a little unfair, but I'm going to go Mookie Betts, and I think it's as Ray said I forget with, with which uh, with the player Adolis Garcia starting decline. Betts has already I had a couple homers the week before the break. I think some nicky nacky injuries maybe affected him over the first half, and I think we're forgetting just how good this guy is. And you know, even even if you go from a last pick in the first round to the third overall, that's like a thirteen dollar jump. And I think that's what we could that that's what we could be seeing. He's gonna, I think Mookie will run a little bit more. The hitting's already coming around. Unfortunately, you know, with, with Ronald Acuna out, uh, Mike Trout coming back there's you know uh, we 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 need we need another we need another guy at the top to just do exciting things every night and i think that's going to be mr betts
1: can i chime in with a little mookie betts story sure sure it's like a funny personal personal anecdote that I, I i thought might be relevant here if you're projecting, projecting a mookie betts surge in the second half so my wife has a acquaintance on facebook who she worked with in a prior life who couple of weeks ago posted on facebook that she's moving to la with her family out of the blue and she's like well that's kind of random why would she do that she's a teacher teachers don't pick up and move cross-country right um but turns out her husband they're moving because of her husband's job which she eventually discloses on facebook when they get to la that there's she's staying in her new boss's guest house while they get settled in their permanent residence in L- la turns out her husband's new job in la is he was Mookie Betts' personal chef in Boston and is finally moving to LA. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if Mookie Betts' problem in LA has been that he didn't have his personal chef, he just resolved that in about the last three weeks. So
2: that is his bowling coach. Bowling <laughs> oh, coach
1: too. Maybe maybe that's what they do what they do while they're cooking, yeah.
0: Okay. Uh yeah, you said that the the lady was moving out of the blue into L.A., but I guess they're moving into the blue. In into the, the blue.
1: There you exactly go. Exactly right. Ah.
0: I have Jose Ramirez on my Tout Wars team, and at the break – Not bad, but certainly disappointing. 19 home runs is tied for 20th in Major League Baseball. Eight stolen bases tied for 32nd. Uh, 52 RBIs tied for 32nd. 60 runs scored is the high point at at 11th place, but 81st in batting average. I think he's hitting around 255. You could argue he's been unlucky. Eighth lowest BABIP in baseball. Everything else seems to be working. Uh, Bob Berger covered... Uh, Jose Ramirez in facts and flukes at the end of June. His power metrics are good. Hard contact is solid. Barrel rates are at an all-time high. Um, all those other stat cast uh, exit velocity kind of things are at, at uh, career highs. Bob also pointed out that Ramirez's days as a premium stolen base guy might be over. His, his run rate has sunk from the low to mid 20% to about 14%. And his ultra-elite success rate, 85% or so, is down to the mid-70s this year. So there may be a few more red lights in his future. But, man, his home run per fly ball rate, his fly ball rates are both right where they were in 2018. And with that barrel rate, the exit velocity, I'll look at that baseball HQ projection, which is $40, 5x5, five by, five, by the way, for the rest of the season. But I'll definitely take the over on 16 projected home runs. Ray, Hoosier uh, rebound?
1: I'm going to get um, very deep into recency bias here. My guy is Michael Conforto, and I'm really basing it on very small sample sizes. Looking at his numbers in the last week, he kind of turned my head a little bit when he, he had a three-walk game and a seven-inning doubleheader on last weekend. And then the last day before the break, he hit a home run. And it looked like he might be getting a little bit untracked. Besides the fact that he struggled and was injured and just had a bad half, I also have some faith in him because of the overall team context. We thought the Mets offense would be pretty good this year. And it hasn't been mostly because Conforto was hardly the only guy who was hurt. This was a patchwork operation. And then they also had a bunch of uh, canceled games. They got the late start for the season because of the COVID outbreak in Washington and so on. And they were, they've been playing a lot of doubleheaders. The schedule has been screwy. The lineup has been screwy. I think this Mets lineup has a chance to really explode in the second half and Conforto looks like he's getting straight down at just the right time to be a part of that.
0: So our second-half rebounds, uh, Todd and I went very bravely to first-round hitters who aren't quite in the first round, and we're going to bet that they get their Ray a little more out on a limb with Michael Conforto of the Mets. Uh, let's move over to the pitchers and second-half rebounds. I'm going to pick Aaron Nola of Philadelphia, four fifty three one twenty one. I just think he's better than that. He's been unlucky, 67% strand rate, 33% hit. If you normalize, just normalize those, you get to around 350, 110, which is pretty much where his XCRA, XFIP, and expected whips are, and pretty close to what Baseball HQ is projecting. Only six wins, but the Philadelphia bullpen has blown at least two that I know of. Uh, Strikeout rate is down, but his walk rate's down more. It's It's all good except for the outcomes. And I think that when we look at outcomes versus the underlying skills, the underlying metrics, all of that kind of stuff seems to point to Aaron Nola being a lot better than he's shown. And I think he's going to have a pretty solid rebound. Uh, Ray, what do you think?
1: That's an excellent choice. He was definitely on my short list just to throw another name out. I will go with uh, Max Fried. I don't think he's got the ceiling as Noah Noah has, but he's also been unfortunate with a. 471 ERA and a 139 whip in the first half, but his last 31 days numbers are better at a 375 ERA, 381 X ERA. So it looks to me like he's getting straightened out. He had a minor injury. I think it was a hamstring a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I I expect better things there. It's not necessarily, like I said, not necessarily a top of the rotation half coming like Noah, but it's a place where I expect some significant positive regression. The biggest question there now is probably – the Braves team context without Acuna and whether they become sellers or at least are running a shell lineup out there that could impact uh freed from a run, run support perspective. Todd, who do you like?
2: I like Frankie Montas to run rebound a bit. The same, same sort of ideas. You look at the estimators, you look at the uh, left on base percentage, uh, the BABIP, especially Home runs he's always given up. Uh, but I think, you know, normalize those as his, his estimators are both, Overrun below the four and a half or so where he is. I'm looking at his pitch mix. I, this is one of the things I wanted to research more, but I just don't have the bandwidth right now to do it. He doesn't look—he doesn't look like a spin guy. And by a spin guy, I mean he doesn't rely heavily on a curve or a slider. He throws them, but it, it's not a, a, as much of an issue. So if he—if he is a—he is a spin guy, if you will. The four seamer, which is a spin pitch, um, it's 30% of the time, so it's not even that much. So I'm going to go Frankie Montas, and even you know, with the trying to read the tea leaves of the spin, I think he's not going to be affected by that.
0: It's funny when you said uh, I didn't have the bandwidth. Ninety-nine uh, percent of the time, people say that they mean I didn't have the time, I didn't have the inclination, I couldn't get to. You actually meant you don't have <laughs> meant, the bandwidth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the bandwidth. I, I, I also my yeah between the uh, an old an old laptop that I uh, man it was so nice ten years ago. Uh, but now it's not so nice anymore. Um, Yeah, I just need to uh, uh, go to a nicer hotel next time.
0: I was better and more productive 10 years ago too, so I'm not going to hold your laptop (laughs) 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 against us. uh, Our rebound pitchers for the second half, Aaron Nola, Max Fried, and Frankie Montas. Now let's get to our awards for the fantasy season in the first half. Todd, let's start with you and the fantasy rookie of the year.
2: Um, I'm gonna go Trevor Rogers. He just exceeded uh, it all expectations of the Miami Marlins. Although, in you know, in retrospect, with so many pitchers doing well, you know, are, are they now one an orga- one organization that we sort of trust pitching just because it's from the Marlins? I know the park has a lot to do with it, and it wasn't as Rogers was a nobody. He just wasn't. Quite expected to be a top fifteen, top twenty earner uh, from the pitching side, and who knows what's going to happen over the second half because of innings, etc. But um, the I, I what what Rogers has done, if you did, you know, manage pitching and manage to get Rodgers, it's been a nice neighborhood. <laughs>
0: Two eighty four Babbitt for Rodgers and a seventy eight percent strand rate. Todd, are you worried a, a little bit about the possible regression in those lucky factors? Those, I
2: mean, those are. Within realm, I mean if they i'm not what I don't think they're both within probability okay ace pitching you know seventy two percent is around the norm, the aces can get up to seventy eight percent so sure there can be a, a little bit of pullback, but it's not we're not talking about you know two fifty where you know there's just been some good luck going on or a, you know an eighty four percent strand rate those are both within you know all these things are ranges. They're just up at the upper end of the range.
0: I like the name Akil Badu. I actually <laughs> took him in Tout Wars partly for that reason, also partly because I thought he had a pathway to playing time in what looked like a legendarily weak Detroit offensive lineup. And I do like his performances here. He's kind of a, a six home run guy, 13 stolen bases, OPS of 813, 11% walk rate. He actually profiles as a pretty good top of the order type of hitter, but he's actually had some plate appearances in that role, and it's not so great. His walk rate falls by half. His on base percentage falls from the 350 ish range to 314. His OPS is under 700. He's been much more productive batting seventh through ninth. I wonder if maybe it's just a rookie putting more pressure on himself to do things when he's at the top of the order. But if he can work it out, and if the Tigers keep getting better as a team, I think Badu's runs produced should go up. And in the meantime, give me a little Badoo. Ray, who do you like?
1: <laughs> I, I was on the pitching side as much as I like the Badoo. Uh, Todd's Trevor Rogers pick was on my short list. I've got a couple other guys in the same class or profile. Uh, the one I'll actually name is Luis Garcia in Houston. Uh, you know, He's been really good, too. Uh, you know, more than a strikeout an inning, an ERA of 3.06, six wins on a really good team context in Houston. And yeah, there's, you know, as we said with the estimators, there's some regression that should be coming here. He's got that 306 ERA, but his expected ERA is about a run higher. He's got a bit of a fly ball tilt, so maybe there's some home run risk there. But he's been an unexpected uh salve for that rotation and a big reason why the Astros – are where they are and uh, if you picked him up early in fantasy or drafted him in a deep in a draft and hold or something he's been a revelation.
0: Now here we got a situation where he's running a BABIP of 264 and his left on base is 81% strand rate. Todd, is that still within the envelope?
2: Uh no. Now we're now we're teetering on the, the you have with with uh with, with my guy, you didn't have to expect regression, but it It was a good chance. At this point, I think you need to expect it. But again, regression doesn't punch a time clock. Doesn't mean it's not. It doesn't mean it's going to occur. And by this, this doesn't mean he's going to have a 3.20 BABIP and a you know a 64% strand rate either. That's not what happens. We're just looking to go back to the league normal. Uh, But you know we're learning. There's certain pitchers can defeat the estimators. You know we're we're the more we learn, the better we fine tune the equations, and the less they do it. But you know, but Garcia's got that little funky motion. Looks like he's doing the Macarena before he throws the ball. Uh, you know, mixing up the stuff. And that Houston staff in general, they they've got so many good arms. and They throw so many different things at you uh, with 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 Valdez and of course Greinke and and McCullers. They're just different different pitchers. So it's you're not you're not comfortable in the series seeing the same type of pitcher every time. Uh, it's just they could they you know when. It was amazing Ray. we saw them just demolish the Red Sox three or four weeks ago. Yep. And then like then, then last week, you know, Baltimore owned Houston. So it's just that's what that's that's baseball friends. But um it was just after watching that series, oh boy, we're playing we're playing, we're playing for second place. But then, you know, <laughs> listen Baltimore goes out and and, and and beats up on Houston. That's just that's the way things go. But um yeah, I'm just impressed by that Houston rotation in general, with Christian Javier could start for many teams and probably will be starting for Houston before the end of the season. Uh They've quietly put together, you know, we talk about their batting. They've quietly put together with their Jose or uh a heck of a rotation.
0: I should mention, too, or just to add a thought, uh, when you say that the regression should not be expected to offset what has happened so far, but just to go back to league norms, I'd go one step further and say it should go back to within that sort of envelope of possibilities centered on the league norm, right? So, I mean, if his uh, strand rate is 81%, You'd kind of expect it to fall, but it could fall only as little as a couple of three points, and still be sort of within the range of an above-average pitcher. So, don't, right. as you said, don't be expecting that the the collapse is going to come all the way down to the far side of the opposite of 81% as far as the mean is concerned, all the way down to what you said, 63 or 64. It doesn't necessarily mean that at all. So we have uh, Trevor Rogers of Miami, Akil Badu of Detroit, and Luis Garcia among our contenders for Fantasy Rookie of the Year. All good choices, I think. We move on to our second last category, the Fantasy Cy Young. I'll go first. I want to give honorable mention to Anthony DiSclofani and Kevin Gausman. And by the way, hats off to the Giants pitching management team. You know, I heard the other day that the Giants have 18 coaches on their staff. Not all pitching coaches, but they have 18 coaches helping their players uh, figure things out, work through things, and so forth, and some kind of advanced communication system to facilitate that. And uh, I'm curious what you guys think about a possible price premium for Giants pitchers based on what they've done with some pretty uh, serious cast-offs like Di and Gaussman and Alex Wood. Although the Scott Casimir experiment, I know somebody's going to throw in my face, that didn't work out so well. <laughs> <laughs> my guy for fantasy Cy Young is Carlos Rodon of Chicago. No surprise, I suppose. Like Di basically undrafted. Uh, Di had a little bit more fantasy value because he has three more wins than Rodon, but Rodon has also produced similar value with three fewer wins, much better decimals, way more strikeouts, and top-level skills, 36% K rate, 7% walk rate, and add in an 11% pop-up rate, and I don't think we look at that often enough. You add the strikeouts to pop-ups, I know pop-ups aren't a category, but they are the equivalent of strikeouts insofar as blanking out run production his Statcast page at baseball savant is almost entirely pink or red which is actually good which strikes me as odd red is usually bad and very subpar hard contact metrics give a little cause for concern but he offsets it all with a really solid ground rate those pop-ups I really like Carlos Rodon's performance this year and I like him to maintain it Ray what do you think
1: yeah, Rodon's is an excellent choice. Uh, I'm going to piggyback on one of your honor- honorable mentions. Uh, the choice for me here is Gossman, uh, with the 173 ERA, 133 strikeouts already, a whip of 0.82. A you know, certainly, you know, top of the league type numbers and in a universe where Jacob DeGrom doesn't exist, he might be the best pitcher in the national league. Uh, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about DeGrom here. Uh, you have one interesting thing though, you're talking about the Giants and their, Coaching. I was just eyeballing some numbers and just get you, give you an idea of how good, smart teams are doing different things here. Uh, You know, I was looking when we were talking about the Astros staff a minute ago. I was looking at their staff and that entire rotation has actual ERAs that are a good bit better than the estimators than our expected ERA is at Baseball HQ. The Giants, not so much. They also have a you know sort of unheralded cast the scrap heap you know you were talking about the you know getting much more mileage out of this pitching staff than you would expect from the name value but the difference is the Giants' staffs way more in line with our estimators than the astros are which just means that to me the giants have actually coached up the skills in the way that we measure them and that the astros are doing you know i'm not saying the astros are lucky i'm saying the astros (laughs) are maybe doing some secret sauce that our estimators haven't caught up to yet like Todd said, we're always evolving the equation to trying to narrow the gap between what's happening on the field and what we project is going to happen. So it just goes to show you the two really smart organizations, I think, are going about this in two different ways. Gossman is not that guy in that, you know, when you have a 173 ERA, you almost never see the estimator get down there. Our expected ERA for him is 333, which is still very good. Uh, You know, so that certainly portends some regression down the stretch, but He's got some room to regress from a 173, right? That's uh, we'll, we'll we'll expect we will accept a little bit of slippage there.
0: And of course, when you mention the Astros and say the words "secret sauce," I can imagine where a lot of listeners' minds are going uh, with that idea. But we'll leave it for them to figure that out on their own. Todd, who's your fantasy Cy Young for the first half?
2: Yeah, real quick, just to sort of give a thought to Ray's point about the expected areas, et cetera. I think some may have to do with the home ballparks in that Minute Maid is really tricky in that I mean, it's a home run park, but it's a pitcher's park. Yeah. And I, I think if you if you can – all they need to do is just don't give up short pop-ups to left yep. field and you'll be fine. I mean, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek, but I, I think part of it is is that, is that it's just like a weird park. You can pitch to pit. the park, sure. Yeah, if you pitch pitch to the strength of the park, it can get masked. All right, so uh, I'm going to go – with Zach uh, Zach Wheeler I had I had his pause I couldn't remember if it was a K or an H um, <laughs> uh, anyway yeah yeah anyway St- yeah whatever I gotta work in one dumb joke every podcast all right so the point being uh, with, with Zach I mean the numbers are great et cetera but we're, when we talk about volume and we talk about uh, have to stream and, 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 and minimizing in or, or innings over the second half and workload Wheeler I don't know if he leaves the league in innings but he's pretty darn close and the the volume of strikeouts he's getting but the point being not only does he himself has contributed fantastic numbers and yes they're going to regress because they're going to but the the, the volume he's given your staff it's just you don't have to force in as many or if you do have to stream you've got more of a foundation to build upon more of a buffer or if you want to back off and try to protect your ratios he's already given you maybe 20 or 30 more innings than someone else's ace. Then for instance, you know, Carlos Rodon, 90 innings or so. And, 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 and Wheeler's got hundred and 119. So around 30 innings of extra buffer there. So if you want to back off and still make your innings limit, your minimum for your league, you still can. So to, to me, it's one of those guys where, you know, I come from the Larry Bird era where an MVP makes his teammates better. Uh, Zach Wheeler allows you to manage your pitching staff more effectively.
0: He sure does, and he is leading Major League Baseball in innings pitched. He's an inning and two-thirds ahead of Chris Bassett, who got mentioned a little bit earlier. Our fantasy Cy Young choices are Carlos Rodon, Kevin Gaussman, and Zach Wheeler, and that brings us to our last category, fantasy MVP. Ray, I heard you mention Jacob deGrom a moment ago as somebody who's going to come up later. Is later now?
1: Later is now. (laughs) <laughs> he's got to be—he's he's, got to be my choice here for MVP. I bumped him out of the Cy Young category and held him back here, really for just the reason that Todd was just talking about, which is the Larry Bird philosophy of what he does to your so what, entire team construct, and in particular, you know, sure the—he uh, doesn't have those the innings that uh, Wheeler has, but with—I mean, just soak in the 11 walks and 146 strikeouts and the 0.54 WHIP. I, I haven't run the numbers, but he's what, what as we were talking about the uh, what he does for the rest of the team argument there, Todd. I was thinking, what would the numbers of the combined Degrom and Luis Castillo come out to? I think they'd come out still pretty good. He, he's been so good that he can erase Luis Castillo's bad.
2: That's uh, that's scary. That's scary. Yeah. Um, and of course, I mean, the question going forward is is what about the innings? We've missed some. Uh, we've missed a few games already, or parts of games. <coughs> Can we write them in for 14 more starts, for 15 more starts? And we kind of alluded to it with the Mets, with the with all the doubleheaders. You take a look at the number of games they play. You mentioned with Michael Conforto bouncing back, trying to figure out. And this goes into the uncertainty I was talking about earlier. How you how do you figure out playing time for the Mets? Are, are they going to all the doubleheaders, You're losing two, in, two innings. Uh, are guys going to be sitting? Do they have enough? When they're healthy, they have platoon pieces, but I don't think you can go out and get all the Mets you can because they've got eight more games in some teams. The players may play fewer plate appearances because of the way it's set up.
0: I think the interesting question is, the do you want an 0-54 whip in 90 innings, or would you rather have you know a, a one whip in 120 innings? And if... The former, then you're looking at Degrom, and if the latter, you're looking at Zach Wheeler, and I think they're both excellent choices. And I haven't done the math, and I'm of course a lot of it's going to depend on how many other innings you've got and what those numbers look like. But it's an interesting question. Uh, Todd, did you ever get to a fantasy MVP?
2: No, I did not. And I'm going, I'm going on the same. I, I know his name's mentioned. I'm going to go with the same theory that I used with uh, with Wheeler and how much he helps, and that's Vlad Guerrero. In that the the the, the batting average, PD, you were talking about the. Triple crown categories, and you add in runs. he He's already given you more than you expected, which is a good thing, especially in that batting average. If you need to chase steals, if you need to make a trade for Adalberto Mondesi, if you need to make a trade for a stolen base specialist, you could have the buffer. It's so hard nowadays, trade from a strength to improve a weakness. It's so hard to build up a surplus anywhere, like you were talking about Patrick with the with the, with the plate appearances. It's tough to build up a surplus to make such a, a, a trade, but Guerrero is kind of an organic way to do it all by himself. And will he? Will he? You know, re- you know, regress has been the word, and we're trying to use it the right way. Statistically, out of your control, things just happen. Is he going to continue to hit 350, 340? Probably not. Landing point's going to be real soft. Um, and I, I just think that what you what he's already given you in excess and what you could do with your team to make up points uh me that's the mvp
0: Vladimir Guerrero Jr is a terrific choice and uh, the interesting thing about that Toronto lineup that i think it's gets- underappreciated is they turn the lineup over so often that it's not surprising to see anybody at the top of it really amassing a whole bunch of mm-hmm. plate appearances that they wouldn't for instance if they were in exactly the same situation but in Detroit the the major league leader in plate appearances is Marcus Semien if you go down to uh, seventh spot is uh, Beau Bichette if you go down to 14th spot it's Vladimir Guerrero there's three guys in the top 14 in plate appearances and it's just because they're rolling that lineup over every night. And they're playing every day, of course, too, which helps. Uh, I'm not going to have as much imagination as either of you two guys. I'm just going purely on value with Cedric Mullins in Baltimore, completely undrafted. Like, he didn't even have an ADP. I checked in a couple of different places to see if anybody had even one draft uh, of Cedric Mullins, and nobody did. And here he is delivering first-round results, 16 homers, 16 bags. Already, that's something that you want to have on your team. Batting average over 300 that's something you want to have on your team. And you have to wonder what kind of runs scored he might have if his three eighty on on-base percentage were sitting on top of the Toronto lineup rather than the Baltimore lineup. Cedric Mullins has been on base 144 times, not counting errors or fielder's choices, and he scored 49 runs. That's about 34%. Marcus Semyon, I just mentioned in Toronto, has been aboard 136 times, so eight fewer, and scored 67 runs, which is 18 more. 49% of the time Marcus Semyon gets on, he scores. And that's a huge difference that you can't discount in in a situation like Cedric Mullins. But what I'm really curious about, you guys, is where Cedric Mullins is going to go in next year's drafts. I know it's going to be a lot earlier than ADP 734 or whatever it was before this season. But, Ray, what do you think? Where do you think Cedric Mullins is going to go when draft season starts in next February, say?
1: I was going to jump in because it, I, it sounded incredulous when you said that, and I had to go look up his ADP. I think it's a we must have a name mismatch or something that's causing his ADP to be blank. At the NFB, at the NFBC website, it came up with an ADP of 404, which is still super, super weight and does not invalidate your point at all. Uh, where is he going to go next year? I mean, that's—it's a pretty interesting skill set. It's a—it's sort of a unique skill set in that everybody loves those power-speed combo guys, especially if you're not paying an OBP penalty. And I'm not sure he's a 314 hitter, but he's not going to be a BA liability. And if he finishes this year at, you know—he's certainly on pace to get to 25-25 or something like that. That's going to be—you know—a team build guy. It's going to fit on some rosters. It's a perfect fill the stat category guy if you start with pocket aces or something like that as you you know in a third or fourth rounder and that might be too late it might be better it might be better than that um he's going to be uh you know he's going to be in the adp top 50 for sure and that's probably underselling it
2: todd what do you think well i have to ask uh context is justin mason going to be in the draft (laughs) (laughs) justin uh mason friends with fantasy benefits uh is a known uh proponent of of I don't have – again, without the bandwidth, I can't get it up really quickly to pat myself on the back, if you will. But a couple of times I've been asked about Mullins, and I read I read my profile on Mullins. And to sort of paraphrase, it was something to the effect of, Cedric uh, Mullins has got a lot of speed, hits uh, has got these skills to carry a high Babbitt, and he's got some good speed. There's no one to block him from playing center field. Uh, he's going to get the playing time in Baltimore – so you know, don't worry about the power; it's coming. Um, pay for you know, pay pay for those stats and be happy. And I wrote that in 2019. It wasn't this year's profile, which it very well could have been. Of course, he was terrible in 2020. Yes, it was. <laughs> in 2019, yeah. Uh, so I was a couple of years too All the point. The point I'm making is uh, not not patting myself on the back. It's the um, the skills have been there. The 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 power, as you mentioned, Ray. Is is sort of the surprise in that ballpark. It doesn't take much, right, to have the power uh, emanate. So and I, you know, we he he could have been or he may have been. I forget at this point one of the players we chose to to fall. So where he's drafted, it's a there's a lot of recency. What have you done for me lately? If he kind of craters in the second half, I mean, throw this away. Um, I don't think he's going to. I think it's going to be a soft landing. The power may not persist. But maybe it will. Maybe maybe the the the, the spin down. I mean, what it's worth. Homer's have been down since uh since the whole spin thing. And that not only are they down, they're supposed to be going up at this point at the time of the year. So run scoring is pretty much stagnant. Um, it's just it's just it's just so weird what's going on. But um, I have a feeling I'm gonna be off of Mullins because all it takes is one uh to to look at you know to draft off of last year's numbers.
0: And before we let this topic go, how much penalty do you think a, a Mullins is going to pay for being on what has been a bad team and what figures to be a bad team again next year?
2: You know what? The top of the order is not terrible. Yeah. We, they need to stay healthy. Uh we, 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 we Mancini, we've talked about. Uh, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, they need to stay healthy. And Ryan Mountcastle, they may need one more to extend a little bit. So no, they are not the Toronto Blue Jays. No, no, hardly any team is. But my point being, if, if Hayes and Santander can mature and, and stay healthy, then I don't think it's going to be that bad of a buy, top of the order. The bottom, they need Rushman, they need some of the other players. Um, I don't know, is it? DS? They about
1: 12 more pitchers.
2: Well, there is, there is that, and I know they have a couple of the minors, but it's a hard sell. You know, it's a hard yeah. sell. Yeah. To- no, totally. But, you're, but, you're, but you're right, Todd. I'm, I'm, I'm just echoing your point. Yeah, in that, that, right. You know, it's, it's a typical rebuilding
1: pattern. The, the lineup comes first. The pitching comes later. They're going to be at the point where the lineup is, you know, some shade of respectable pretty quickly. Right. They're going to go out
2: and trade for Mike Boddicker, who else, who, who yeah, else right. did they trade for, Uh, you know, way back then. You know, maybe D.L. Hall emerges. Maybe some of their arm emerges. A guy named Schilling, as I recall. Yeah, he is well. But right it's just, it's just tough um oh, of course you seen it it's just tough to uh entice a pitcher you know if these guys didn't think they'd all make the Hall of Fame they, they would go to Baltimore, but they're so silly. oh I can't ruin my Hall of Fame numbers and accept the trade to Colorado no you're right you you can't do that you weren't going to make it anyway, bozo <laughs> anyway,
0: and they do have Adley Rutschman, supposedly uh you know uh, another bat that they can add to their lineup next year
2: he's supposedly going to be really good.
0: That's what I hear. And they drafted another catcher, didn't they, in the in the draft just the other night?
2: Oh, man. I got a I got a uh, – my, my niece is a big Xander Bogart, Bogarts fan, so I got this. What are they doing drafting a <laughs> – he's 18 years old. Yeah. Don't really. worry about it.
0: <laughs> well, guys, this has been great. Uh, I want to thank you again for taking part in our roundtable, Todd Zola. Tell our listeners where they can keep up with you, and thanks again.
2: Uh, you can keep up with me on Twitter, at Todd Zola and uh i'll I'll be glad to engage in any questions you might have on the masters Ball forum, but uh yeah, social media Todd Zola. and uh, another you you get to ask me that question probably another three or four weeks on this podcast and uh yep, Sirius XM is slowing down as far as baseball goes, but we are on the network on Saturday and you uh, know we, we I get to talk to you folks on Sirius XM radio. I can't tell you the time because they bunch of they, they move us around based on the game.
0: Ray Murphy, thank you, and we'll talk again on Friday, of course.
2: Of course, I'll be here.
0: Todd Zola writes for Masters Ball ESPN and RotoWire and appears regularly at SiriusXM, although apparently less regularly than in months past. And he's on more podcasts than Joe Rogan, including this one. You can follow him on Twitter, as he said, at Todd Zola. It's all one word. Ray Murphy, co-general manager and a columnist at BaseballHQ.com. He covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio every Friday. And he's on Twitter as at Ray HQ. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 13th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 33 of the 2021 fantasy baseball season. Of course, I want to thank our guests from this Tuesday special edition, our annual mid-season roundtable. Todd Zola, of course, a longtime friend of this show, appearing regularly here for many years and many more to come. And Ray Murphy is the co-general manager of BaseballHQ.com and a columnist at the site, As the co-GM, he's the guy behind the scenes who keeps things running, including this show with some truly heroic efforts that you're never going to see. I'm sure you'll agree that Todd and Ray are informed, interesting, and a lot of fun. And you'll find out more if you come to First Pitch Arizona. They'll be there. I'm Patrick Davitt, the lazy Susan of this particular roundtable and the host of Baseball HQ Radio. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. You can also follow my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, take a second to go wherever you catch your pods, and leave Baseball HQ Radio a good review and a rating. That helps us find new listeners, and that helps us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again just three days from now with another Friday full edition featuring a guest expert interview with Tanner Smith, a pitching arsenal analyst at BaseballHQ.com, as well as all the other usual great stuff. That's Tanner Smith, coming up Friday on the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. See you Friday, and for now, so long.
1: Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators, or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.